0: All right, so, again, thank you so much, guys, for coming. This is such an awesome occasion, and this is just the beginning of our gathering today. After, we're going to be going to Kate Sessions for an after party, and we're going to have lots of fun there. Um, I'm told there are some activities, some competitive activities, um, so get ready for that. All right. Um, as I said, in in 2010 I went to seminary in Los Angeles, and in and while I was there, um, I had so many people telling me about this church that was in Hollywood, um, and they were telling me about this guy named Tim Chaddick who. Um, was preaching through Romans at the time, and he would preach just solid preaching, and he would preach for an hour, And um, but even though his sermons were... Um, deep and lengthy, there were thousands of people from all walks of life, especially in the industry, that would gather in Hollywood um, to hear God's word. And I kept hearing about it and hearing about it, and I was like, one day, I was like, I've got to visit. Um, and so I remember going to Reality LA um, um, that that Sunday and just being amazed by how passionate um people that had gathered there were about Jesus and were about God's Word. And um, that Sunday, I was fortunate enough to meet Tim. I don't know whether someone, like, introduced us or not, but I met Tim in the foyer, and I remember meeting him, going, hey, yeah, I've been listening to your sermons, love what you're doing. Um, I'm from London, and I'd love to do something like this, you know, in London somewhere. And um, the interesting thing about that day is I think you were going to London, um, you were on your way to London the next day. And so from there, we built a relationship. Um, and um, Tim has been a mentor to me over these years, a mentor. He's like a big brother to me. He, I call him like, I don't know, I call you like every other week, every week, <laughs> um, with a question about um, leadership or pastoral ministry or church or anything like that. He is just... A incredibly intelligent man, um, and God has used him powerfully. He's a bit of a serial church planter in that uh, <laughs> he planted a church in LA, um, and then 10 years after, he moved to London um, to plant a church there, and just kind of returned a year or two ago with his family, and now he's in Ventura, I'm um, serving as lead vision pastor at Reality Ventura, and so um, I, I loved him a lot we have a lot in common we love art um, we love jesus of course we love the local church but there is something that we disagree on all right just one thing that just irks me that i wished we would unite on and that is we disagree on the best football team in north london all right we disagree on that um he supports that other team, and I support Tottenham Hotspur. Um, yes, yeah. <laughs> and we we have many, many, we've had many hours of conversation um, about football, but um, seriously, Tim, thank you so much for coming to speak um, this morning. I could not think of a better individual to really be here this morning than Tim. Tons of experience, and you guys are gonna enjoy him. Because he loves to lift up the name of Jesus. And so without further ado, let's pull our hands together for Tim Chaddick.
1: <laughs> well, you'll be happy to know I won't be preaching for an hour uh, this Sunday, mercifully, but I'm so thrilled to be here uh, with you friends. I've Had the privilege of being able to cheer you on, you know, from afar. And Obed and Elena, like my wife and I, we just love you so much. You guys are like family, and we pray for you often. And Obed, just being able to talk to you week in, week out, is just an absolute joy. And when they were surprisingly shipped back to England. We were still there, and it was just amazing that we got to spend some time with them, and we got to switch places for a while. Someday we'll have to do a US-UK podcast. I think that would be amazing. <laughs> It'd be very fun. But it's incredible just to see what God has done here in San Diego and in King's Cross Church. And this morning, I just want to share an encouraging word for you as you celebrate these four years of God's faithfulness to you as individuals um, as a church, or maybe some of you are, are new to the church, or you're exploring Christian faith. I'll do my best to explain who Jesus is, and why his life matters for you, and why it is that we're even celebrating in such a time as this, when it seems like the world is going crazy. So we're taking a break from your series through the book of Ecclesiastes, and if you have a Bible, if you could turn to the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, a letter written by the Apostle Paul, who was a senior leader in the earliest history of Christianity, wrote a third of the New Testament, and he planted a church in an ancient city called Thessalonica, and he writes a letter to them, and it's a letter of encouragement. And that's what I want you to experience this morning, King's Cross Church, encouragement, particularly on the theme of resilience. Resilience. 'Cause technically in four years you're no longer a new church. Right? You know those parents who have like children and, and they, they only age their children by months? But you have to stop doing that after a while. You're like, oh, my kid, they're 78 months. You're like, what? I can't even do the math in my head. Like, you get beyond that. Like, it's not new anymore. So you're technically not really a new church anymore. And for some, the excitement can wear off a little bit. But you need to endure. You need to be resilient. You need to press on. Because as Obed said, there's going to be highs. There's going to be lows. But Jesus Christ is going to be with you through it all. And we have an example of that. Here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, let me read verses 13 to 20, and I'll pray for us once more. Paul the Apostle writes, And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work In you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and also drove us out. They displeased God and are hostile to everyone. In their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved, In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. But, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you that all of these men and women here matter to you. I thank you for all that you've done in the life of this church over the last four years. We pray today that you would speak words of encouragement, that you would transform us, that we might become resilient people, not merely being able to face adversity, but become transformed through adversity. We pray that you would show us how that happens how you do that in our lives. I pray that this church would be encouraged. And for those who do not yet know you, I pray that they would have a clearer understanding of all that you have done for them in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray and everyone said, amen. Well, it seems appropriate to quote the legendary British prime minister, Winston Churchill, who famously said, success is not final failure is not fatal it is the courage to continue that counts like an adrenaline shot words like these were spoken when many lives and nations were of course entrenched in the brutal second world war it was a call to endure and many did but when the war was all over people came out of that time differently. Some marriages became stronger. Other marriages fell apart. Some friendships were fortified. Some disintegrated. Some countries, as we know, they banded together. Others divided. Trials can change a nation. Trials can also change a person. We're learning that now over what's happened over the last few years. Some people through trials will grow bitter. Other people will become better. Some people, and you know this, they will sweeten in the midst of adversity, but other people, they sour in the face of difficulty. And my question for us this morning is what makes the difference? What is it that makes the difference? How is it that you and I can face adversity and difficulty as well as the successes and joys in a way that does not disintegrate us but a way that actually strengthens us. I want you to ask that question of your own life. And on this day, as you celebrate four years as a church, I'd love for you to think about it in terms of being a community. What we need is resilience. Resilience is a word that's not actually used in the passage that we've read, but it is most certainly described. Resilience is, of course, the ability to bounce back. From adversity, the ability to keep going, to endure, to grow. It's something that we desperately need. How can I become resilient? How can you become resilient as individuals and as a church? Well, for that answer, we turn to our text. As you've not been studying this particular book, a little background is helpful. In the book of Acts, which records for us the earliest history of Christianity, We learned that Paul the Apostle just landed in Europe in the first century. And he planted a church in a Roman colony of Philippi. And he got beat up for it. And eventually, he arrives in this city called Thessalonica. Thessalonica was a very cosmopolitan city where he had been sharing the Christian message. And at first, things go really well. A new church is started. But eventually, the situation for Paul becomes so difficult... There were so many adversaries, so many people that opposed the Christian message, so many people that opposed Paul himself, that he had to slip out of town at night. And since then, since that time, he was so concerned about this new church that had been a community for only about a year that he sent his co-worker, young Timothy, to go check on them. And this letter is actually a result of Timothy's good report Timothy comes back to Paul and says, hey, the church is continuing. More than that, they're doing really well. And so Paul, thrilled by this news, he pens these words, and we get to read over their shoulder as they receive it. Having said that, I find, I cannot help but to find some parallels between the story of the Thessalonian church and King's Cross San Diego. Because both churches had been separated from their pastor for a short period of time. And as I was praying about and thinking about being with you on this weekend, I couldn't help but to see the parallels as Oben and Elena had to be exiled to England. While you were here and you guys were the first who did Zoom church, little did you know it would come in so handy. But now being here, like they're back and seeing how God provided for them and seeing how the church has grown and seeing how people have come to faith. Friends, you have shown resilience. You have shown resilience as a church. In fact, even that particular season, a year and a half ago, you've shown that leadership is important, but the most important leader is Jesus Christ himself. He's the one that you have been following. And these years together is an evidence of that. So my encouragement to you this morning is to keep on going, be resilient. But how? Well, what we find here are a few brief lessons in resilience. And I just wanna give you three points. Number one, resilience is possible. Number two, resilience is necessary. And number three, resilience is worth it. So first of all, resilience is possible. When Paul is writing to this church, he thanks God for them. Why does he thank God for these people? Why would, be, why would Paul be so thankful for and confident in people who are in such a fragile situation? Where does this gratitude come from? Where does this confidence come from? Was it because these men and women were naturally courageous people? Was it because they were well-educated? Was it because they were financially prosperous? No. He is full of gratitude and confidence when he thinks of them, not because of what they achieved, but because what they received. Read again verse 13. It's on the screen. He says, and we also thank God continually. Why? Because when you received The word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. I love this. The the change brought about in their lives, their ability to remain strong in the face of adversity, did not originate from themselves. It did not, Paul's not saying, hey, I'm writing to you guys, I'm so glad that most of you are like ENFJs on the Myers-Briggs scale, you know, like a DI on the disc test and like therefore you're naturally courageous and leadership oriented and you know, that Enneagram three comes in, you know, really handy. Like he didn't say that. He doesn't say that. It's not a thing for Paul. He says, I thank God, not because of what you achieved, but because of what you received, and that is the word of God. See, this is beautiful, and for those of you exploring Christian faith for the first time, or even if this is your first time at church, this is so important. This is at the heart of Christianity. All the change that God desires for you, he brings about within you. That's how Christianity works. It's not like you get your act together and then present yourself to God and then he accepts you and says, oh, you're a good little boy, a good little girl. You can now come into my kingdom. He looks at us. We're all sinful and broken people, all of us. And he reaches down and he saves us. And as we receive what he provides, we are changed. That's how it works. Notice Paul's reference here to the word of God is what he first has in mind. The gospel, the good news about Jesus and the scriptures. We know this because if you read earlier in the same chapter, in verse 5 and 6, he talks about preaching the gospel to them. And they received it. He preached scripture. That's why we read the Bible on Sundays. He preached scripture and the people received it. That's why he's thanking God and that is why they've become resilient. See, friends, my encouragement to you, it starts here. Resilience is possible because it's not based on what you can achieve. It is based on what you receive from God. It's as you receive from the word of God. It's as you receive scripture. It's as you continue to rely on the gospel of Jesus Christ that you will become resilient. Or to put it simply, God's word to us produces resilience within us. That's how it worked for the men and women in Thessalonica, and that's how it works in San Diego for you today. And I love this because it means that resilience is possible for every one of us. It doesn't matter what your personality type is, doesn't matter how old or how young you are, everyone who receives the word of God for what it is will experience the word of God at work in your life. Isn't that what he makes clear? He says, it's not the word of man. When I came and preached to you, Paul says, you didn't hear this as, oh, Paul, such a good philosophical point. I loved your, like, Athenian TED talk. It's so great. I've watched it three times. That's not what he says. It's not what they say. They received it not as the word of man, but as the word of God. Paul did not make this up. It was not some kind of hip piece of philosophy. It was the word of God. Scripture declares itself to be the Word of God. History vindicates Scripture as the Word of God. And as we receive it, you and I experience it as the Word of God. So what is necessary for you as a church, as you think about the years ahead, to fan the flame of endurance? What is necessary for you to keep on going as a church? Well, it's simple. Believe and receive. Keep believing and keep receiving. The word believe that Paul uses here is in the present tense, encouraging us to continually receive and believe if we are to experience the transforming power of God from the inside out. Or let me put it this way, your spiritual life and your maturity will suffer or grow in direct proportion to your view of Jesus and the word of God. If you have a small Jesus in your mind and in your heart, and if you have a very low view of the word of God, you will not grow. Spiritually speaking, you will suffer. But if you have a high view of Jesus, he's the son of God, he's my savior. If you have a high view of the word of God, this is not just a a piece of human philosophy, this is God's word to us, you will grow. So when we talk about, you know, reading the Bible together or when you gather as a church on Sunday to hear scripture, this is not an afterthought as it says on your own website. This is like the central moment of the church gathering because this is a word of God. And as we believe and as we receive, we are strengthened. We are made resilient. So do we recognize the authority of scripture or do we just cherry pick the bits that we like and spit out the parts we don't like? It's what a lot of people do with the Bible. I like this part. I don't like this. I like what it says about justice. I don't like what it says about sexual ethics. I like what it says about forgiveness, but I don't like what it says about salvation and responsibility. We're not to cherry pick. If we do, a Jesus of your own making cannot save you. A Bible of your own making, a paper doll version, if you will, where you just cut it out in your own likeness, cannot change you. Do you trust scripture? Do we see how central it is in our lives and in your church? C.S. Lewis said this about knowing how much you really trust something. He said, you never know how much you really believe anything until it's truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death to you. It's easy to say you believe a rope is strong and sound as long as you're merely using it to tie a box. But suppose you had to hang by that rope over a cliff. Wouldn't you then first discover how much you really trusted it? See, some of us are like, Jesus, yeah, he's a great guy. (laughs) The Bible, it's a good book. (laughs) But if you're like, I'm a sinner and I'm doomed to eternal destruction, but Jesus saved me, you're like, he's everything. Right? That's why Christians are weird in normal terms. You go to a church service If it's your first time and we're singing songs like, you're everything, and you're like, what? Is this like a Bruno Mars song? Like, what's happening here? Like, why are they saying all this stuff about Jesus? Because he's our Savior. Why are we saying all this stuff about the Word of God? Because this is how we grow. As you continue to believe and receive the Word of God, open yourself up to the Word of God, you will be changed. And I love the word, just to geek out in the Greek for a moment, When Paul says you welcome the word of God, it's the Greek word for be hospitable. It's like when you have someone over for a dinner party, you're like, come on in. Hopefully, you're nice. You're like, come on in. The table is set. Welcome. We prepared food for you. It's a metaphor for how we're to receive scripture. When you gather on Sundays, the posture of our hearts should be, God, come on in. I want to hear what you have to say. I've got a central place for you right here. What is it that you want to say to me? As we receive his word, we grow strong. As you continue, King's Cross Church, to receive the word of God, you will grow strong. It's not dependent on your personality. It's not dependent on your natural resources. It is dependent on the power of God. And what you need to do going forward as a church is simply believe and receive and keep on doing it. Resilience is possible. But that leads to the second point which is resilience, is necessary because you have and you will face opposition. You will. One of the evidences that the gospel was received as the word of God in this church in Thessalonica was their willingness to suffer for it. It was their willingness to suffer for it. And indeed, they did. They faced opposition, just as their pastor, Paul, himself faced opposition. He was literally kicked out of town for preaching the good news about Jesus. They were fools if they thought the same wouldn't happen to them. But it was their willingness to continue to receive the word of God, follow the word of God in the face of opposition, in the face of adversity, that was one of the great evidences of their faith. They showed resilience. See, this is really important to state up front, especially if you're a new Christian, you're exploring Christianity, or maybe you've been a Christian for some time, but you've hit a wall. You need to know this. The Christian life will involve hardship. It will involve facing opposition. And one of the reasons why it's important to say that is one of the reasons in my own personal experience and opinion why so many people, feel so fragile is because they have mistaken expectations about the Christian life, right? If you go into any kind of season of life or relationship, if you have misplaced expectations, it's gonna be harder than you think. And I'll never forget the one couple in LA years ago who was, they were young and they just got engaged and they were so excited to get married. And I remember saying, hey, we should do premarital. And they're like, oh, why would you do that? We don't fight. And they're like, hmm I'm like, you guys are so cute. Let's schedule it for next week, and we'll get started. They literally were like, why do we have to do a chapter on conflict and communication? I'm like, you're adorable. But I'll never forget, the woman once said, I can't wait to get married, because it means that every day I'm getting foot massages. And I was like, and the guy there was like, what? What? I was like, wow, if that's your expectation, like marriage, it means foot massage every day. You might be disappointed. You might be disappointed. You'll have unmet expectations. You'll be like, man, it's hard. I thought I was getting foot massages. I'm not getting foot massages every day. See, it's important, even in the best of times, you know, like you have to have realistic expectations when it comes to, to the Christian life, many people are caught off guard or surprised by the reality of trouble. And I often ask, well, what did you expect? See, the minute these men and women accepted the word of God in Thessalonica, they became targets of trouble, just as Paul himself faced trouble. And there are actually in the text three types of trouble that he mentions here and it's for our good that he does so that you can be aware of and prepared for the trouble you will face. So I know this isn't a good church anniversary message, but church, you're going to face trouble. And there's going to be a variety of trouble. So let me give you three little subpoints of trouble you're going to face, right? This is fun. You can talk about it at your picnic. First of all, there's going to be social trouble. You will face opposition from people. Look at what Paul says in verse 14. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea who are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews. So let me explain. In verses 14 to 16, he relates the opposition that these men and women faced for their faith to the opposition that the church in Judea faced for their faith. And in doing so, he's essentially saying, you're not the first to face trouble, and you are not alone. Paul is reminding us here of the universal nature of Christian suffering. And there's a long history of it. That's why he mentions what he does in verse 4. What did a culturally metropolitan church in a Greek Roman city have to do with a predominantly Jewish church in Judea? A lot. And one thing they had in common is they both faced opposition from their own countrymen. There were in the Judean church, some Jews who were hostile to the church. They were hostile to the Christian message. Now, the reason I say some Jews is to make very clear that What Paul is referring to when he addresses some Jews is those who rejected the gospel. He's not making a broad statement about Jewish people. After all, Paul was Jewish himself. He's referring to a subgroup of Jewish people who had rejected Jesus and who are now rejecting the church. He makes this clear in verses 15 to 16. Who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and also drove us out. They displeased God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. He says there's going to be opposition. Don't be surprised. And there is a warning for those who would reject the gospel or even oppose the gospel. And to put it simply, it's this. For those who reject Christ, they will be rejected by Christ. He says in verse 16, in this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit, and the wrath of God has come upon them at last. The logic is clear. A never-ending rejection of God will result in a never-ending separation from God. That's what hell is. You don't want God That's an identity you choose. It continues on to eternity. That's what's at stake here. That's what hell is. Those who shut the door to God's presence in this life will have the door shut to them in the next life. That's the warning. Tomorrow is not promised to you if you're not yet a Christian. This is real. And this warning is given out of love. And when he says the wrath of God has already come, it means they already stand condemned. The language gives a picture like a cloud hanging over their head. If you've not received Christ, receive him today. Know that your sin is forgiven. Know that that wrath is removed. Know that you're accepted by him forever. And if you follow him, know that there will be times in which you will be opposed. People will oppose you. Your own family members might oppose you. Your friends, your social group, people will oppose you. But resilience means that you do not let this opposition stop you from doing what is right. There will be social trouble, but there's more. You're like, ooh, tell us more. There's going to be circumstantial trouble, verse 17. There will be times when the circumstances you are in require resilience. Your plans, just like Obed and Elinus two years ago, they didn't say, hey, let's get kicked out of the United States. It'll be great for our faith. They didn't choose that, but it happened. Your plans will not always turn out the way you thought. Due to the fact that Paul was kicked out of town, it separated him from their community and their friendship. He says in verse 17, But, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, though not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. He uses strong language there to capture the pain that he felt being separated from them. This can and will happen. Plans will not always work out. Even church planning, like you guys have have been around for the last four years, like venues change, like things happen, like church planning is hard, Being a faithful mentor to Obed, I always told him what I had to tell every church planner, don't do it, (laughs) don't do it. But if you can't do anything else, then yes, do it. But here's a few advice, but don't do it. But if you do it, here's what you need to know. (laughs) But I'm so glad he did, because look at what's here. But if you've been around, you know it's not easy. You face all kinds of even circumstantial trouble. So holding loosely to your plans and knowing that it's not the end of the world if they change. Or as I like to say, I like to deliver my plans to God in pencil, not in pen. There will be social trouble. There will be circumstantial trouble. But thirdly, there will be spiritual trouble. Paul was blocked from coming back to the Thessalonian church. Though we don't know the details. But he clearly identifies a spiritual force behind it. A reality to which Paul refers often. He says in verse 18, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan blocked our way. Now some of you are like, whoa. I was just here to like support a church plant four years. Now you're talking about Satan? Listen, without making any apologies at all, the Bible claims not only the existence of God, but also the existence of the devil. Showing us that evil is clearly multidimensional. We live in a world there's personal evil, the decisions you and I make. There's structural evil, the combination of choices together. But then there is also spiritual evil. There is a devil, there is an enemy of God who is real and though is not responsible for all the evil in the world, stands behind much of it. And though we're not told the details here as it pertains to Paul, we do learn the nature of it. He was blocked but here's what I want you to notice. Even Paul's awareness that the devil was against him did not stop him from doing his work. And it did not stop the church from doing their work. Resilience is necessary because there's gonna be social trouble. You might get rejected by your friends. There's gonna be circumstantial trouble. Things will not always work out. There's gonna be spiritual trouble. The devil is not happy about what's happening at King's Cross Church San Diego. Happy birthday. Put that on your candle. (laughs) There's going to be spiritual adversity, but do not let this trouble surprise you and do not let this trouble control you. Do not let the adversity that you face as individuals or as a community diminish your, self, your sense of purpose, which leads to the last point. And my biggest charge to you, Kings Cross Church San Diego, resilience is worth it. It's worth it to keep going. It is worth it to continue in the life of the church. It is worth it to continue to study scripture. It is worth it to continue to preach scripture. Each chapter in this book of 1 Thessalonians, if you were to study it on your own, contains a reference to the future hope of the Christian. So why is Paul so motivated? Why does he feel the way that he does about his work and about the people that he's serving? And how can we find the motivation to endure? The answer is simple. He's looking at his present troubles and his present responsibility in light of future glory. He's looking at it in light of where he is going to end up and in light of where those who trust in Christ are going to end up. And that's why he makes a reference to the future in verse 19. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes, is it not you? When Paul writes these words and describes the reality of these present circumstances that they face, he cannot do so without also thinking about his future, without also thinking about their future, without also thinking of the glory that will one day come for all who trust in Christ. Paul's saying like, look, I'm living for that day when I know when God's going to make all things new. When all those who have trusted in Christ are going to experience him wiping away every tear and there's going to be no more suffering, no more death, no more brokenness. He's thinking about the future. And so he says in verse 20, as he closes, indeed, you are our glory and joy. And just as a parent has great joy when their children arrive at the goal to which they have prayed for and worked for and hoped for, so Paul says, I'm going to have even greater joy when his spiritual children, if you will, weather the storms of life and reach the end. In the same way that the end of the ancient Olympic games when the laurel wreath of victory was proudly placed on the victor's head, he says the fact that you guys make it to the end is gonna be the symbol of victory. That's what I'm looking forward to. Jesus is gonna lead you to glory and your life can point other people in the same direction if you continue to press on. So here's my question for you especially for those of you who have been around King's Cross Church since the beginning, but also for those of you who are new or for those of you who are not yet Christians, how do you think of the future? Here's my question. How would you live right now if you really believed this was true? If you believed that your life was as short as just a vapor or as you're learning in Ecclesiastes, like just grasping for the... The wind, it's here one minute, gone the next. Our time is short. How would you live right now if you really believe there is a day when you're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and he's going to make all things new? And for all those who heard and believe the message, they will be there with you. How would you live right now if you really believe this is true? Or perhaps a better, maybe more practical question for you. If you were there now, how would you look back on this present time? If you were there now, just in glory, just imagine yourself. Whatever came to your mind then? You're like, rainbows, great. If you were there now in glory, how would you look back on this present time? What things would you start doing? What things would you stop doing? What things do you know need to be cut out of your life? What things do you know you need to start engaging in? And what things would you continue to do? To keep on doing? See, let me tell you this when you die and you breathe your last and you stand before Jesus Christ, you're probably not going to say, you know what, I was too involved in the church. It's not a thing. When you die and breathe your last and stand in the glory of Jesus, you're not going to be like, you know what, I kind of prayed too much. It was a little, you know, a little excessive on prayer. You're not going to say that. It's not a thing. When you die and breathe your last and stand in the presence of Jesus, you're not going to say, you know what, I shared the gospel too much. I studied scripture too much. What was I thinking? You're never going to say that. You're never going to say that. Resilience is worth it because you are heading to glory and it gives you a different perspective on the work that God has called you to here and now. Friends, in this church, you are a part of gospel ministry. You are a part of a gospel-preaching, Bible-believing church that's seeking life for the people around you. And it is worth it to endure. See, some of you, you've been around for four years and you're like, at first it was exciting, but now you're like, nah. Eh. Right, everyone goes through that phase. You join a church and you're like, oh my gosh, family, two weeks later, you're like, I don't like Christians. When you hit a wall, when it becomes difficult, keep going. Keep going. Resilience is possible because the word of God, the power of God, the Holy Spirit in your life, keep on going. Keep on pressing through. For those of you who are new, get involved. Can start saying, you know what? I'm going to look at my life in light of eternity because when I get there and I am with Jesus and I see all things made new, I'm going to say it was worth it. But even more than the effort that you put in, you know who ultimately said that is Jesus himself. Jesus is the one who left the glory of heaven to come into our world 2,000 years ago to suffer for us And to face unspeakable adversity and to die on a cross where he paid for all of our sin, took the full weight of God's wrath, the the wrath of God that rightly comes upon sinful humanity. Jesus took it upon himself and then he rose again on the third day. And we're told that he did that in the book of Hebrews for the joy that was set before him. To save you, to bring you into glory. If you've not yet trusted in Christ, receive him as your savior today. And if you have, church, continue to press on because your work, the gospel ministry, the preaching of the word of God, sharing the good news with others means that those men and women will also be able to, having believed in Jesus, look forward to future glory. Jesus says, you know what? He looked down at this world and he said, bringing you to myself was worth the cost of laying down my life. Paul reminds us here, faith will not always take you out of the problem, but it will take you through the problem. Faith will not always take away the pain, but will give you the ability to handle the pain. Faith does not always take you out of the trial, but gives you peace within the trial. Faith does not always end the trouble, but enables you to endure the trouble. And so Paul says to another church, describing his own resilience, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Church, this resilience is available to you through Jesus by continuing to believe and to receive, hearing from the word of God. It's necessary because you're gonna face trouble, but it is worth it because you are heading to glory and you're pointing other people in the same direction. Now is a time for you to double down on that if you're a believer and just say, you know what, Jesus, I'm all in because I've seen what you've done for me. And if you've not yet accepted Christ, believe on him today and experience the strength and the salvation that comes in Jesus. Let's pray that this would be true of us all today. And before I pray, In a moment, Dan's going to lead us not only in song, but in a time where we can take communion. And just ask within your own heart before God those simple questions What needs to stop? What needs to stop in my life? What needs to start? What do I need to start doing and responding to? And what needs to stay? May you bring those questions to the Lord right now as we pray. Father, we are so thankful that the power we need, the strength we need, does not come from within our own natural ability. It comes from you. You've given us what we need in Jesus Christ. You've given us your word. You've given us the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray this morning for those who just need encouragement, that you would encourage them. For those who feel like giving up, that you would just put endurance in their heart. For those who feel tired, that you'd strengthen them. For those who feel weary, that you would lift them up. For those who've been drifting, would you draw them back? For those who are on the fringe, afraid to get involved, I pray that they would dive right in and just take the risk. And for those who do not yet know you, I pray that right now they would simply say from their heart, Jesus, save me. May they pray from their heart, Jesus, I believe you died on a cross for me and rose again to give me forgiveness and everlasting life. I believe in you as my Lord and as my Savior. I pray that they would do that even now and experience your forgiveness and your acceptance as a free gift of grace because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. We celebrate that today, God. Thank you that you produce resilience within us. We pray that you would do that even now as we reflect and respond. In Jesus' name.